groups of two. That's why they're friendly, because they bring a mate, you see. And what it is, the divisors of the first number add up to the second number, and that one's divisors add up to the first number, you see. So the first ones, these are discovered by Pythagoras, 220 and 284. So obviously, if you're following me here, the divisors are 284, that's 1, 2, 4, 71, 142, add up to 220. And the divisors are 220, that's 1, 2, 4, 5, 10, 11, 20, 22, 44, 55 and 110, add up to 284. You don't need me to tell you that, right? <laughs> Numbers, as far as I'm concerned at least, are not boring, sterile entities. Rather, they have quirky characters, distinct personalities. Indeed, we've just heard comedian and ex-mathematician Dave Gorman explain how some numbers exhibit friendliness towards each other. I suppose what I'm trying to say is that each number has unique qualities. For example, in 1917, the Indian mathematician Ramanujan spotted that 1,729,1729 is a remarkable number. The story goes that a friend visiting him in hospital mentioned that 1729 was the number of the taxi that had brought him, and that it was a boring number. However, Ramanujan pointed out that 1729 is the smallest, non-trivial number that can be formed as the sum of two cubes in two different ways. In other words, 12 cubed, 12 times 12 times 12, plus 1 cubed, equals 1729. And, wait for it, 9 cubed plus 10 cubed also equals 1729. 1,729, a crazy, mixed-up kind of number, I think you'll agree. Ramanujan was said to be a close personal friend of every single number, largely thanks to introductions by the Hindu goddess Namgiri. Now, I can't promise you divine insights into every number, but I do hope I can introduce you to five of my favourites, starting naturally enough with zero. Dave Gorman again. You'd start with zero and you work in sort of positive integers. And without zero, you can have no negative numbers. And negative numbers are something that most people kind of now freely understand as well. Because it was only the kids at school who struggled to understand negative numbers who are now in debt, ironically. <laughs> and then again, when you're playing with your negative numbers, when you want to try and manipulate them, that's when you get to somebody saying, so what's the square root of minus one? And what is the square root and of minus one? And the square root of minus one is this imaginary number that we call <laughs> i. So you're continually new numbers are being developed. I mean, pi, yeah. pi is a classic number. It's not negative, it's not imaginary, but it's weird because it goes on forever and ever and ever. Yeah, and again, when you first come across your irrational numbers with their infinite number of decimal places, I think is where a lot of people get their first grasp of infinity. And again, I mean, infinity is another concept. It was a point in history, a definite date, where somebody had to get their head around it and begin to symbolise yeah. it. Yeah. And even if it is just sort of 3.33333333. And if you wanted to try and write it all down, you'd still be writing it down now, which means you'd be late for history. So where does the history of zero start? Well, there was a time when mathematicians didn't even know about zero. The word, the symbol, the very concept of zero hadn't been invented. Or is that discovered? Either way, as Ian Stewart of Warwick University points out, there came a time when mathematics couldn't progress without zero. Arithmetic works much better if you think of zero as a number. What's three take away three? Zero. Exactly, and it's a physical thing you can do. So in maths, if you ask a question, in theory at least you should have an answer for it, and if you don't allow zero to be a number, then there are some questions that don't have answers. That's right. If introducing some new concept leaves the old concepts nicely undisturbed and somehow completes the concept in the sense that more questions have answers, then that's always a good thing to do. 
so you need zero in order to represent nothing in an equation. But before it was used in that way, it was used simply as a placeholder. John Barrow, author of The Book of Nothing. If we write down 1, 2, 3, we read it automatically as 123. We don't read it as 1 and a 2 and a 3. So what's going on there is that the positions of the symbols carry information. They behave differently, say, to the Romans. If you were to write 1, 1, 1 in Roman numerals, uh, it doesn't mean 111 at all. Or, or if, I write, three. if I write the letter C, it means 100, wherever that C appears. That's right. So the idea of the relative positions of things carrying information was a Babylonian invention. And once you do it, you see you have to have a way of signalling that one of the slots is empty that 1, 1 means something different to 1, 0, 1. It's the Hindu-Arabic system with the digits 1 to 9 where you suddenly realise you've got to have a 0 as well because you've got to be able to say, don't put any numbers in this particular position. It probably came out of notation for, for an abacus. And if you're inventing a symbol to represent the state of an abacus, you would have to have something that says, this column of the abacus does not have any beads in it. Zero has come in as an irreducible component of the whole thing and it just will not work without it. And the number system is so useful that zero suddenly turns into a real mathematical concept. Nothing really matters to me. 22 minutes past seven on Triple J. Adam Spencer with you. Let's have a look at the weather around Australia. Canberra sunny and 25, that's five squared. Alice Springs fine and 22, two times 11. Perth fine and 16, that's two to the power of four or four to the power of two. It's the only number that can be written in reverse power format like that. Leonard Euler proved that one. Anyway, let's have a song. Adam Spencer of Triple J Radio is the only man I can think of who went from studying for a PhD in mathematics to becoming a DJ and hosting the biggest, hippest breakfast show in Australia. Adam, as it happens, is a big fan of zero. Once you get to certain areas of mathematics, the use of a zero does become important, both in ease of notation when you're writing fantastically large numbers. For example, if you want to describe the number of particles in the universe, you could write a one with 80 zeros after it, or you could just write 10 to the power of 80. All right. Right. Yeah, yeah, because also when you get to 100 in, in Roman numerals, you have to invent this new letter, C, and so on and so on. Whereas with zeros, you can just use nine digits and rearrange them, and you don't have to you constantly an, reinvent new numbers. You have an easy universal system. You don't have to go telling everyone else in, in the world or in your small community when you've invented something new. So it really makes an easily definable system in which very large-scale calculations are possible. The fact is, the Romans did not have a symbol for zero which is coincidentally why they never went to the moon. Pliny, Cicero, Gibbons, they all described how the Roman rocket was on the launch pad next to the Colosseum, waiting to take off. They started the countdown, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and... uh, no, 0. So no takeoff, so no Roman ever landed on the moon. Due not to a lack of technology, but a lack of mathematics. Eventually, traders brought zero back from the east. Then European accountants and merchants started using it. However, in 1299, zero and the other Arabic numerals were temporarily banned in Florence. So why did Europeans have such a problem with zero? Nothing was the state out of which God created the world. It's something you want to avoid, uh, that the world really fled from. So it was not something that you wanted to have any dealings with. So 
Western philosophers, Western theologians are reluctant to deal with the concept of nothingness, but by adopting Arab numerals and sneaking in the symbol for zero in the back door, as it were, gradually over time this, this concept was made more acceptable. Yes, it became much easier to take seriously the idea that nothing could be something. And zero really is incredibly useful for doing maths. Charles Seif is the author of Zero, Biography of a Dangerous Idea. The first obvious thing was quick calculations. The equivalent of the Deep Blue versus Gary Kasparov matches of the between the people who used and counting boards and algorithms, the people who used zero and the Arabic numerals. So people actually had contests to see who could do calculations quickest. Yes, there's actually a famous wood carving where you see two people sitting at a table, one one calculating by hand and the other calculating with stones. And like Deep Blue, the algorithms, the people who used the new method with zero and the Arabic numerals, one out in the end. Today, zero is part of our everyday lives, from phone numbers to gossip about how many zeros are on the end of a Hollywood star's paycheck. So why does Adam Spencer omit zero from his somewhat light-hearted catalogue of numbers entitled The Book of Numbers? The reason I didn't put zero in there is debates about zero probably would have taken longer than the rest of the book. When I've spoken to mathematicians, they tend to give numbers personalities. How do you relate to zero? Zero. Underrated, stubborn, at times helpful, at times very irritating, refuses to go away. When does it show its irritating side? Well, zero shows its beautiful side when you're working on an equation and you've got some hideous array of things on the left-hand side and you're multiplying, adding, and they all cancel each other out and you're left with a glorious nothing. Zero shows its irritating side when you're doing something like that and wanting to get anything other than nothing. And if you really want to see the irritating side of zero, then try dividing by it. The reason you get into big trouble is that, in simple terms, zero times one is zero. Zero times two is zero. Now, zero times one is zero. If you divide by zero, that says zero divided by zero equals one. On the other hand, zero times two equals zero tells us, if we divide through, that zero divided by zero equals two. So now one equals two, and we've got problems. And for the kind of maths you do at school, you warn the kids off, and, and if, you know, nowadays if, if, if they punch one divided by zero into their calculator to see the answer, it says error. If you're a school child, then a standard excuse for failing to do maths homework is to claim that you divided by zero and your exercise book burst into flames. In short, never divide by zero, because the result is chaos. Logic breaks down, paradoxes proliferate. The root of all these problems is irreversibility. For instance, if you multiply 2 by 3, you get 6. To get back, you divide 6 by 3 and get to 2. That's a reversible operation. Right. Multiplying by 0 is not a reversible operation because multiply 0 by 3, you get 0. But if you multiply 2 by 0, you get 0. So if you try and work backwards, there's no obvious way to tell where you came from. That's correct. So all paths lead to one point, so you can't work backwards. So therefore you can start off in one logical position, end up at zero, and then backtrack to any other logical position, which is where your paradoxes come in. Precisely. And once you have 
something which is not reversible and you try to reverse it, you have all these paths equally logical. And since they're equally logical, if you assume any one is true, you get into problems. And zero is not just a problem for mathematicians. It's just as confusing for physicists. It turns out that the vacuum, the physical equivalent of zero, does not contain nothing. A vacuum is a seething volume full of particles popping into existence and then disappearing again. It's all thanks to quantum theory and the uncertainty principle. And perhaps even worse, when you look at the particles in the vacuum, or any fundamental particle, zero leads to problems again. Traditionally, particles are point-like objects that occupy zero space. And doing physics with such particles is tough which is why physicists are reinventing particles in another form. Instead of treating a particle like this zero-dimensional point, this point of nothing, they treat them like a little loop of string. And those little loops of string don't have the mathematical difficulties that zeros do. And so string theory really is a way of getting rid of all these leftover troubles with general relativity and quantum mechanics uh, these troubles caused by zero. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to be a physicist, and, and I mean, this is the key problem, is that if a particle is like a point, then it has no spatial dimensions, and then trying to do calculations about this point suddenly became very tricky. But uh, as you're suggesting, if you start treating particles like strings, zero start disappearing, and things become a, a lot more comfortable. Exactly. String theory might banish it. There might really be no such thing as zero in an equation of physics. So zero causes nightmares for physicists, so much so that they want to get rid of it. And zero results in paradoxes when people try to divide by it. And zero completely messed up Roman mathematics by its absence. All in all, you can see, love it or hate it, that nothing really matters. <laughs>